It's time for another episode of Second Take Cinema. Woo! 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 Wow! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are coming at you from the glorious Impala Films headquarters in sunny Southend on Sea. As always, I am your host, Jamie Evans, and I am joined, as always, by Mr. Rory Jocelyn. Hello, everybody. And today, today we turn back the clock. We turn back time to 1999 where we watch John McTiernan's The Thirteenth Warrior. The internet's still shit, and the Spice Girls are still around. And The Matrix is about to come out. The Matrix is about to come out. Was it 98, The Matrix? 99. Uh, Sixth Sense is top of the box office right now. Mm. I see dead people. Spoiler alert. Mm. Anyway, The 13th Warrior, which was not top of the box office. No. The 13th Warrior is a 1999 American historical action film based on Michael Crichton's 1976 novel, Eaters of the Dead. Uh, It is directed by John McTiernan, who you may know from Die Hard and Predator. Though, I will have to add that John McTiernan... They don't know him from Rollerball. No, 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 no. (laughs) I have to add that John McTiernan, after he did uh, the first cut... It was not received well by test audiences, so Michael Crichton took Re- back some control. uncredited reshots. Yeah, shoots, yeah, yeah. Uh, it stars Antonio Banderas, Diana Venora, and Omar Sharif. Yes, um, that's actually a bit weird that that's who it lists on Wikipedia because Diane Venora and Omar Sharif are very tiny characters in yeah, it. Yeah, Omar Sharif is only in the intro and then he's gone. Yeah, but he was one of the biggest names in it, other than Banderas that, himself. That must be it, mustn't it? Yeah. Uh, it Please was watch. Made, it's got Omar Sharif in it. It was made for a budget of eighty-five to between eighty-five to one hundred and sixty million dollars. Apparently, depending on if you factor in the production, uh, the marketing. Sorry. Yeah. It grossed a mere sixty-one million dollars, officially making this the biggest box office bomb of the year nineteen ninety-nine, with losses up to one hundred and twenty-nine million dollars. Which is a bit unfair because it's not that bad a film. Jesus, that'll put a sting in you. <laughs> The 13th Warrior holds a 33% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, The consensus is atmospheric with great sets and costumes, but thin plot. Roger Ebert gave the film one and a half stars out of four, remarking that it lumbers from one expensive set piece to the next without taking the time to tell a story that might make us care. Conversely, however, James Berardinelli, sorry... 
gave the 13th Warrior three out of four stars, calling it a solid offering that delivers an exhilarating hundred minutes. Lisa Schwarzbaum of Entertainment Weekly rated it A- and called it the most unexpectedly audacious, exhilarating and wildly creative adventure thriller I have seen in ages. The outcome of the film's production, however, was a huge disappointment to Omar Sharif, so much so that he actually temporarily retired from acting. Yeah, I think he only did two major films afterwards, and the final one was it was Faralgo, I think, or something like that. Oh, okay. Uh, in two thousand and four, but then I mean, he was quite old, so he probably didn't do much after that anyway. So he said, after my small role in the Thirteenth Warrior, I said to myself, "Let us stop this nonsense. These meal tickets that we do because it pays well." I thought, unless I find a stupendous film that I love and that makes me want to leave home to do, I will stop. Bad pictures are very humiliating. I was really sick. It's terrifying to have to do the dialogue from bad scripts, to face a director who doesn't know what he's doing in a film so bad that it's not even worth exploring. That is some pretty harsh words about John McTiernan. Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, I've never worked with John McTiernan, but from what I've heard in the film that I think was directly after this Rollable 2002... Um, to say that he was going off his nut at this point would be an understatement, which is why Michael Crichton retook control of the project. He'd lost his touch, hadn't he? Yeah, and Rollerball was the one where he eventually ended up getting put in prison uh, because he wiretapped his producer on that film. So he, he was very clearly going off the deep end in some way or another. Don't know why. There may have been reasons. It could be dro- well, it could be anything. It could just be simple. maybe he just lost his touch. Maybe just sometimes lost his people touch. just lost lose their touch. But either way, uh, John McTiernan was so uh, John McTiernan critique aside. I think Omar Sharif is being a little bit harsh. Let's talk about Omar Sharif's scenes specifically. He didn't have bad dialogue. It was just I suppose kind of he was just the translator. Yeah. So, like, he was only in the intro, and he's just the translator for Antonio Banderas before he learns the language. So, it's not bad dialogue, it works in the f- sequence of the film, but it does seem to be like, why would you hire Omar Sharif just for that? Um, yeah. And by this point, obviously, he he was a big name. Uh, so why hire him for that role? Maybe he's thinking, you know, I won't leave home for a role where I'm literally just going, this is what they are saying. Thank you. Goodbye, Antonio. Yeah. And then runs off, fucks off into the sunset. Um, yeah. But, you know, because right. I, I can't imagine that his part of this script was that bad. Even if he doesn't like the film, you know. I'd love to know what it was like on set to make him say to make him say that McTiernan didn't know what he was doing. I mean, we've heard this a few times about, from different people. I mean, we heard it on the Super Mario Brothers movie when we did that on VGMP. Obviously, um, not about McTiernan. Not about McTiernan, directors. but about the directors on that. But McTiernan specifically, I did a review of Rollable 2002. My God, does that clusterfuck? Mm. Um, you can, I, I, yeah, you can find that on my YouTube channel if you bother want to bother going looking into that. Um, so, before we dig into 13th Warrior, yeah. let's take care of the elephant in the room. I love Antonio Banderas. You love Antonio Banderas. He's a great, great man. Uh, Banderas strikes again, and that strikes again. We're, we're going to clear this up now, because I don't <laughs> want to spend the whole episode having to keep Repeating reassuring it. people. Yes, Antonio Banderas should not be playing this part. It is, it, it's racist. There's nothing else to say. It's racism. It, it, the character is a Middle Eastern man, and America went, so, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's not the same thing. It's completely different. I'm sure if this film was made today, they wouldn't do that. I'm sure Banderas wouldn't take the role if they did it today. 
yeah, let's get that out of the way. It is a bit weird, certainly in a modern context where we... I mean, in the 90s, it wasn't really a big deal. No one really cared particularly. Mm. But nowadays, things have shifted. People really do care if you fit a demographic of the character. Um, it's become a lot bigger well, it's of like, an issue. It's like you said, it's because things like this, this decision is what stops Middle Eastern actors from getting an opportunity. Yeah. Because when a role is written for them... It's given to someone who isn't. It's given to someone who isn't. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not as it... I, here's the thing. Antonio Banderas is fantastic in this part. It's not that he doesn't do a good job in the role. It's just he's the wrong person for yeah. the role. And so it's kind of odd because some people will forgive it because he's good in the role. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right decision. Yeah, There would have been... Middle Eastern actors who could do this role as well, maybe at least as well, mm. um, and giving them an opportunity. And it, as we saw, you put fucking Omar Sharif in a fucking cameo role, really, uh, and you plastered him all over the poster. You could have made one of the main Vikings a bigger name. Yeah. You know, like, because they're Lundgren? all white. There's what? plenty yeah. of white people. Dolph Lundgren put. should be in this movie. Dolph Lundgren as Bullvi would have been great. Yeah. That would have yeah. worked. Um, okay, so let's start with Banderas, since we mentioned him. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to betray our good friend Banderas here. No, don't betray the Banderas. This is the worst performance I've ever seen Banderas give. No, no this, is. Is, this is light years ahead of Spy Kids. This is the worst one, nope. and I'll tell you for why. Go on, him. And it's not his fault. They obviously asked him to do this. He is trying so hard to hide his accent. Right. And it's not working okay. at all. So uh, he alternates between this flattened out sort of a generic acceptable American. Yeah. And then the low sort of raspy um, Banderas. Banderas. That keeps like... Listened. Yeah, that keeps like <laughs> sneaking in. Now, don't get me wrong, this is all better than having him try and put on a Middle Eastern accent. That yes. would be way worse. Yeah, we can all agree on that. Yeah. Um, it'd be a bit of an Apu at the Quickie Mart situation, I think. Yeah, I think that would have aged it even worse. Yeah. Um, but th this was my least favourite of everything I've ever seen Banderas in. Now, to be fair to him, they're and we will get on with this, because I'm afraid I'm in Roger Ebert's camp on this film, there really is not a lot to the character. We really don't learn much at all about him yeah so we know his backstory right from the start is he's a guy who was obviously somewhat of a nobleman he was in... a poet according to wikipedia oh okay to the to the royal court. i mean he's based on a real guy so yeah um i suppose that helps with some factual accuracy i haven't actually looked into the character very much but from the mild bits we get in the film he was someone of note who fell in love with a nobleman's wife obviously had an affair um, which normally in Middle Eastern culture of the time would have meant he would have been executed. But maybe because he was such a great poet, uh, instead of being executed, he was um, exiled. exiled and made to be a uh, an ambassador for, I suppose, Muslim faith. Mm. Uh, moving up north to try and Towards speak to Europe. Yeah, to, you know, to help with conversion or whatever. Um, and while he's up there, he runs into the North Men. Uh, the that's all we really get of him. We see bits of um, the things I do like in this film. And I wish they'd done a little bit more with it, um, and it probably would have been a little bit more would have struck a little bit more accurately if they'd had a Middle Eastern person playing the role who understood the religion a bit more. Um, 
like a, a Muslim actor, basically. Uh, but it when you had that clash between Muslim culture or the difference being seen between Muslim culture and uh, pagan culture, that's where for me this film had something interesting to say but it only touches on it briefly here and there. Yeah. It doesn't make it a consistent through line. Um, but I would have loved to have seen more of that because essentially <laughs> Banderas's character breaks Muslim faith quite a few times, not just in his exile, which would have made sense for the reason for his exile. But, I mean, he sleeps with some bird uh, who puts urine on his face. Uh, when he is up north. And it's like, apparently that would have been against that religion. Um the Mead situation is interesting, though. So there's a bit where he talks about not being able to drink. Uh, one of the other main guys, uh, he's drinking, and he goes After here. A battle, yeah, yeah. He, he hands him a horn to drink from. And he goes, "No, I cannot. I cannot drink um, like fermented, fermented grape or wheat. Wheat." And he just laughs. He goes, "It's honey, because it's mead." One of the other parts that he does that's very odd against the religion in this i suppose but i mean it, i think this is a a wobbly part to it anyway banderas has moments where he shows off in as character in this film so they take the piss out of his horse so he does loads of show jumps with the horse to prove that his horse is actually a good horse he also when he uh gets one of his when he get he gets given a broadsword which is too heavy for him to use yeah, he so he has he it can't re- wield it properly can yeah he? so is it reformed into a saracen sword which is great i love that bit again another clash of cultures sort of thing uh but then he shows off how he can spin it around his hand and all this sort of stuff which is great but well, clearly just want an excuse to use his training from Zorro. Oh, maybe. absolutely. But the thing with that is... Uh, Humility's a big part of... Yeah, so showing off is not really something that you're supposed to do in Islam. So I don't... But again, I'm talking as someone who's a complete layperson. I know small bits of, you know, Islamic culture, but I'm not from it. I'm not part of it. I And I have not grown up with it. I've not read all the texts. But these are just little bits that I've gleaned from he- places here. There are people yeah. that I've spoken to um, where this does kind of clash with that culture. It's a little bit more solid because it's Michael Crichton uh, on the Viking culture. Now, there mm. is embellishments and things like that to this, obviously. But it is a little bit more solid on that because, let's be honest, northern medieval back, uh, history is much more in the realm of Michael Crichton mm. than Middle Eastern culture. So he's done a lot of works based in this field, including this particular novel, thus this film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought that was that was the most interesting thing that I think the film had to offer. And I just felt it could have touched on it a lot more. Yeah. Uh, which would have been better had they had a Muslim actor who could have gone, actually, we wouldn't have done that. We would do this. Mm. Um, so... Let's talk about the plot then, because I, I personally agree with Rodrigo that the plot is incredibly thin. Now, I didn't hate the movie. I want to be clear on that. Mm. I actually didn't hate the movie. I wasn't bored watching it. I did nod off at one point, but that was more due to me having a diabetic sugar crash. Nice. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think I only missed about 30 seconds, but still. Um, it, it was just, when I say thin on plot, what I mean is, and perhaps I mean character more, There was a there's a bit in sort of the midway or just over midway point of the film where they're running through tunnels they've gone to take the fight to the enemy yeah and they're running through these tunnels and they they have to swim under and i sat there and i was going i don't know anything about any of these guys yeah i feel like i'm supposed to be sad that some of them are getting killed off 
but I don't know enough about any of them to care. No, so you get there's little visual context clues for a couple of them for some of it, but not really enough to gain background. The most, the ones we know most about are uh, Eben, Eben. I'm just going to call yeah. him Eben because that's what they call him in the film. Is Eben uh, Ahmed Eben Falsad? Yes, uh, and uh, basically. Uh, Beowulf is who he really is. Let's be honest. Ooh, so take, bullvine. Yeah, um, bullvine. Bullvine. Uh, yeah, he was actually basically a take on on Beowulf. Yes. Um, but the, he's was... he's the. But we don't get a lot about him. We know he's from. He's basically a, a, a prince of some other realm who is doing this journey as the head because they bear, they the first thing they when they first come across the Vikings they're burying his father. Mm. Um, but he's a Viking with no money, so he's done this. He's doing this. I suppose for money, but mostly just for the fame of it, I suppose, to get notoriety. And at the end, he goes, I will die. You know, all I have is my hands. I will die um, poor. And he, the king of that country goes, no, you will die as a ki- You will be buried as a king. Um, so we get a little bit about him from some context clues. But again, it's very thin on the ground. Um I don't think, I think, yeah, I think saying plot is thin is a little disingenuous because there's enough, as far as the plot's concerned, it's fine. I mean, we events just don't happen, get, yes. Yeah, yeah, but we just don't get enough about individual characters. Yeah. And same with the villains. I still yeah. don't know who the villains are. Yeah, the Death Eaters don't have a lot of backstory, but we get more... <laughs> is that what they're called, the Death Eaters? Yeah. Is, that, is it? I think so, yeah. I mean, the book's called Eaters of the Dead, so yeah. I guess it could be. I think That's the hilarious because Death, Death Eaters are from Harry Potter, aren't they? That's uh, what Voldemort's servants are yeah, called. I, I, yeah, fuck off Harry Potter as far as regards to this, because Harry Potter is bullshit. It's better than this. No, it's not. It is. No, it's not. I've watched three of the Harry Potters, and this film is better than all three combined. The films are garbage. The films are garbage. Okay. I'll give you that. Fine. Uh, well, that's all I've seen. So <laughs> I haven't read the books. No. Um, um, anyway... Um, yeah, I, I was I was a little disappointed. I don't know why. I don't know if you'd ever said this to me or not, but I was convinced it turned out that it was a supernatural thing. No. It's, and I was it's, disappointed that it's not, because the setup all seems to be that it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, I suppose, yeah, so that's the difficult part, is when... Because the setup is fine. Like, again, ignoring the fact that there is a lack of character development and knowledge of who we, everyone is historically. Mm. Um, like, the actual main plot is fine. The issue is, is it it gets to a point where it very clearly has to make a decision on itself: Are these people demons, or are these people people with from a different culture? And they went with the these are people from a different culture route. Would it have been more interesting had they been demons? And what would they have? What what difference would it have made to the plot if they were demons like what what mm. differences do you think it would have made that would have either like, that, that you think would have improved the plot that way uh, to be honest the only reason it would have made more difference to me is that it's just much cooler it's yeah. literally it, it doesn't change the actual play out of the film really you'll still have the anticlimactic ending that the film's got um it's i, I don't know i just so much of that beginning bit is dedicated to setting them up as supernatural you know the fact that First of all, that they eat the dead, but then also that they only ever come on the mist and the fire snake. And, and... when they kill them, the bodies have disappeared. Yeah. yeah. Um, the fire snake, the dragon, the serpent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just was expecting... And I'm I'm one of those people, I know not everyone agrees, I know certain people would actually have the exact opposite opinion, and mm. if it was supernatural, it would have pissed them off and they'd have turned the film off. But for me, 
that have been way more interesting than just their weird feral. They're kind of a weird things. underground people, aren't they? Yeah. But... Um, which which brings me to one of my points about this film, actually, because there's a scene in it that you and I greatly disagree on because you like the scene and I hate the scene. Mm. And it's right near the beginning. Um, and it's the scene where Ahmed learns to speak. It would actually be Norwegian, wouldn't it? Because he's speaking to Vikings. Yeah. But we're hearing it as English, obviously, yeah, yeah, because yeah. we're an English audience. So it's, it's kind um, of weird is that we hear... Whatever the main language being spoken at the time, it's always English. Yeah. But like when he... So when Ahmed first arrives and sees the Vikings with Omar Sharif, they're talking English to us, but actually they're talking whatever Islamic Middle culture, Eastern, yeah, yeah, Middle Eastern language they're speaking. When they arrive, we actually hear Omar Sharif speaking in that language and not being understood. So he switches to Greek and then he's responded to by one of the Vikings in uh, Latin, mm. which is very similar. Uh, so there's, and we hear those in their native tongue and then we end up hearing the Vikings speaking in Norwegian, that being translated by into Latin, and then that Latin being translated into what should be Middle Eastern, but we hear it as English. And then when we get to this point that you're about to come to, we're hearing the Norwegian again as Norwegian, and he's listening, and everything he says, if he says anything, is in English. Yeah. But as he starts to translate words... Certain words become yeah. English. Yeah. So, which um, I, I which think is a cool way of doing it. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's, that's all I meant, yeah. was I really like the concept of that scene. And here's why it would be... And here's, so here's my problem with it. That's stupid. If it's set in reality. Here's the simple fixer. There's two, one of two simple fixers. Fix number one. Have the enemies be demons? Therefore, magic exists in this universe. Okay, we just say uh, Ahmed's got some sort of latent magic ability where he can pick up languages easily, right? Ooh. Option two, just set it in a fucking fantasy land, right? No, I don't like either of where those. everyone speaks English, the and then the, no. then this week because the weird thing about doing no, it this way, no. where you've got an actual Middle Eastern culture and an actual Viking culture that both actually really existed in history, yeah. And then this weird underground culture that there is no historical evidence ever existed. No. That's weird. So make them a fantasy race. Well, they kind of do. And to make the whole film yeah. a fantasy. Um, what I, I would disagree with, certainly the second one. I don't like that one at all. Um, I think what they could have done is, because he's meant to be an ambassador, I know he's got a translator with him. Mm. But maybe it would have been better, rather than having Omar Sharif be his translator, that he knows some language. So yeah. we know he knows how to interpret language. Because at this point, he's shown no aptitude no. for learning languages. That's why no. Omar Sharif is with him. Because yeah. he's shit at it. He only speaks his own language. And then we're supposed to imagine that... And obviously, it's meant to take place over months of journey, not just like a night or a few nights. But the way it's cut together, because they, to save time, it's basically a montage. I was going to say, that's not the way it's shown. No, well, it's because it's got a montage. It would take months it, to travel that far. It didn't but, look like a montage. It looks like it's one night round the same bonfire. No, no, it's not. It's it's meant to be a montage, but yeah. Because um, it would take months to travel that far on foot. Well, yeah, that's um, what I was thinking. That's why I was going, this is fucking stupid. Yeah, no, it's, meant to, be better, it's meant to be months, Jamie. Because what would be better, except modern audiences wouldn't stand for it, is if for half the fucking film... Bandaris barely understands what they're saying. 
and having to find yeah. different ways of communicating with him and he picks it up as the film goes on and then you can have a very exciting moment where like one character's about to probably when he leaves that guy in the river yeah. where he finally un- speaks English back to him yeah and it'd be like <gasps> yeah yeah that would have been cool I agree with that that's I, I prefer that as an angle is that he learns some English or some Norse uh during the campfire scenes mm. but because let's be honest some of the stuff he comes out with you'd be like why would they have said those words and how would you have picked those particular words up yeah um without context of anything else so um that would have been a better way to do it um i agree with that one okay so we've talked about the clash of cultures we've talked about casting we've talked about all sorts of other bits and bobs so let's talk about the main storyline we're talking about so when they arrive at the place that's being attacked by the Death Eaters, mm-hmm. they then find a, a homestead just outside of the main city or my town or whatever the fuck you want to call it um, has been attacked. They go there and there's loads of like mutilated bodies and things like that. Yeah, lots uh, of gore. Lots of gore and no sign of the Death Eaters. This is, and then we get sort of a ramp up of action. What did you feel about this attempt at suspense, uh, where we see, you know, the the Nord upon bodies, etc. Um, so it's not done badly at all, because, um, like I said, I was engaged in it. Mm. I did, <laughs> I did point out that at least until a certain point, this is just Predator. Yes. But set in the past. Um, well, it's kind of Beowulf as well. Because yeah. it's, it's... So you've got Beowulf mixed with Predator. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned another film later on that it kind of... Oh, Army of Darkness. Yeah, yeah. But I was more joking about that. Just when they're fortifying the town. Sure. It reminded me of the bit in Army of Darkness where they're... Uh, like, he, he kits out his car with a bunch of stuff, yeah. doesn't he? And I was like, oh, this is if Army of Darkness had a budget. What was the line they said where it was, oh, if they carry their dead, then they're men or something. And I went, if it bleeds, we can kill it. It's oh, that basically... was... It. No, no, it was um, Bullvi after, like, basically goes, uh, at one point, after the first battle, and they notice that all the dead are missing... They go, they're dead, they're gone. They must be demons. And then Bullvi goes, their blood looks real enough. Mm. And it's like, yeah, if it bleeds, we kill it. Yeah, <laughs> if it bleeds, we can kill it. I was surprised, actually, because when you mentioned Predator, I was like, oh, only mildly. And then yeah. there kept being lines which were almost similar allegories yeah. to Predator. I was like, all right, fuck it. I feel it, like is, it, it is medieval Predator. I feel like it should have ended with Benderis being like, get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. <laughs> get and to I- the chopper. Get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. Vandera strikes again. Vandera strikes again. <laughs> um, but no, this bit was fine. Like, I don't have any problem with how this film is shot mm-hmm. at all. Um, it's And it's paced pretty well for the mm. most part. I think the um, ending's too long. I think it should have ended with the attack inside the cave. The extra bit of attack on the town felt a little bit... Um, it feels anticlimactic to me. Yeah. Um at first it was really cool what they were doing where it's in slow-mo mm. the fact that the entire battle is in slow-mo yeah i was like oh that's the end of that also and this this isn't anything they've done wrong this is just the way hollywood has conditioned mm. us as movie watchers but were you not like proper like oh banderas doesn't kill the main villain no no he's cause... he's the star of the movie yeah it made sense to me that bullvi would have done it 
Um, that's... I thought for sure he was gonna because he gets no. poisoned, doesn't he, Bullvine? Yeah, yeah. But that, and I, I was I like, like that, oh, he's... that was his that was his honourable way out. Oh. Like, apparently like, well, in the book, he die. does die in the cave. He gets mutilated in the cave and gets pulled to pieces. Right, because I was so like, oh, he's going to die from the poison. It probably would have been Banderas that killed him in the... Yeah, town. and Ahmed will like mm. somehow become the leader of these Vikings or something. Yeah. It just it just feels... Weird. Just from a Hollywood standpoint, there is nothing wrong with it as a decision. From a Hollywood standpoint, where we've been conditioned over all these years, yeah, yeah. It'd, be this, it'd be like watching Predator and Schwarzenegger doesn't kill the Predator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or I I'll don't know honest. Skyfall and James Bond doesn't kill um, Javier Bardem <laughs> what's his character's name Raul Silver is it Raul Julia Raul Julia <laughs> but Daniel Craig why are you beating up Raul Julia <laughs> he's been dead for 20 years so the bit that disappointed me with the ending number one I think there should have just been a big apocalyptic battle inside the cave I think that should have been the finale and then they come home victorious with their dead or they're wounded. The other option is the way they did because the other problem is is when they do the fight in the town, not only is it the slow-mo battle, which is always a bit weird and wet, the bit that annoyed me with it was that they don't kill them all. Yeah. I know there's meant to be like hundreds of thousands, but it's like how are they feeding this many people when they live inside of a rock? I know. And then on top of that, like they basically they when they go into the cave, they kill the mother. The, which is the one that leads them all, who looks, by the way, is way too skinny to be the effigy that they've got of her, which is like basically almost like a an African embodiment of the pregnant woman. But yeah, it's, it's based almost on that more African culture as far Fertility as that. sculptures. Yeah, yeah, that effigy is concerned. But the woman that you meet is skinny. Doesn't mm. match it at all. It doesn't, I don't understand why they would build that effigy for her. This obviously um, came out way before, but kind of looks like Cara Delevingne in that awful Suicide Squad movie. I haven't seen it. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> hello. Oh, I haven't seen it. I don't know it's, what you're talking about. It's garbage. Mm. We might watch it on here one time because it's so oh. bad. I think we'll have a lot of fun taking the mick out of it because oh, no. it's a bad movie. Okay. A real bad movie. You, you know your movie's bad when one of the best things in your movie is Jai Courtney. Oh, dear. Yeah. That's oh dear. the level of bad we're talking. Oh, no. That's bad. Uh, anyway. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, uh, I, I like the ending battle in the sense that you know I'm a bit of a sucker for battles in the rain. I always think that adds a cool look. Yeah. And I like the... Um, the... I just don't like the, the fact that they don't looks good. No, I know. And this is another reason why they should be supernatural. Because they are using... A, it's a standard thing in fantasy, sci-fi, anything we've got an army. It, it's Avengers. It's Avengers. When they kill the main mother... There's hundreds of Chitari invading New York. Right. You can't have the Avengers kill millions of Atar of Chitari. So they blow up the main ship, they all drop dead. Yeah. It's that logic, isn't it? Yeah. That fantasy logic of you kill the leader, all the minions die. What they should have what they could have done, because there was so many of them, which in itself isn't it, it's kind of a logic fail, but whatever. There's so many of them. They have to kill the leader. Mm. So once they kill the leader, that's why they all bugger off home. Mm. The thing is, is they're buggering of home. At some point, there's going to be another fucking leader. You've not really solved the problem. So what they could have done, this is based on an actual culture, a horse, one of the horse cultures, I think. There was a tribe that used to self-immolate mm. if they lost their leader. So they'd like gouge out their eyes, they'd cut their bar they'd cut their limbs and all this sort of weird stuff. It could have been that they could have done like a suicide culture. Mm. When the leader and the mother are dead, you kill the culture. Yeah. 
And so it's just like, that would have been a way to not make it supernatural, but have them all like, we've now killed the leader and just have them all go like, and then you, because that would have also been bringing in a third culture. Mm. Again, you're basing it on an actual horse culture and just taking it up to another level where it basically becomes like a suicide cult. Um, you know, once these two are dead, might as well take yourself out. And they do because that's their honor code. Um, yeah. That would that would have worked better, I think, than them just go, yeah. well, we better go home then. See you later, lads. There's um, another problem with this film is there's a whole bunch of dropped plot threads that go, go on, nowhere. Tell me some. There's the blonde girl who we keep getting all these meaningful touches from her to Banderas. Goes nowhere. You think there's going to well, be? Well, she a... sleeps with. He sleeps with her. No, he? he sleeps with the brunette one. Does he? Yeah. Oh, they both look the same. Um, to me. <laughs> <laughs> that, but that goes nowhere either. No, nope. the brunette one. Nope. Uh, the, in fact, the last time we see both women is when they're preparing for the final battle and they go and hide all the children yep. in the cellar. The brunette hands the blonde a bunch of knives and says, "If they make it inside, don't let them take the ship." Meaning, kill the children. Yeah. That never goes any... Like, we need that scene. Not of her killing the children, but we need the scene of, like... It's my potential. You need the scene of she's almost about to do it. Yeah. And then it's, oh, no, we're fine. And then the last one that goes nowhere, but it's clearly set up to go somewhere, is the jealous uh, son of the king. Oh, yeah. So they they win a fight against one of the jealous son's men, Mm. um, kills the man, which is a stupid decision, but that's what they do. um, Because they're trying to show him he has to, you know... Because they say, don't they? It's like he's he. So essentially, what it is is the prince of the land that they're protecting thinks that they're going to come in once they've killed the Death Eaters. They're then going to try and take over the country. Yeah. That's what he thinks is going to happen. But they, he's a real slimy get, and he does nothing to help with any of the fights. He's a not, complete not, coward. not to bring it back to uh, Harry Potter, but he's Draco Malfoy. He's got such a Draco Malfoy vibe to him. Let's, Snotty let's blonde Gladiator. quid. Is the is the gla- is, well, I don't know gladiator. He's um what's his name? He's King Joffrey. He feels like Joffrey Baratheon. Yeah, basically, he's very he's a, um he's a snotty little twat who does nothing. Um, but wants all the power. But wants all the power. And basically, what he does, and he never comes back actually in the ending. He's not in the finale no. at all. And this is what I'm saying. This should what it should I, be. I imagine that the, here's the thing. This was chopped up so many times. Definitely. I imagine that both of these storylines probably did have a finale somewhere. Maybe. But they were chopped out because fuck it. Because here's this. what I would have done. And yes, it means your film goes on slightly longer. But you could have trimmed some stuff from the beginning to make that better. Um, to be honest, I I know if she was an acting legend, but I. To be honest, wouldn't have Omar Sharif in the film at all. It was that seemed to be a waste of time. Uh, to, to be honest, I would just have Banderas be able to speak the language. Like, yeah, or he care. speaks Latin first. Yeah, because that's the thing. He could have spoken Latin first, done the whole scene with just Banderas speaking Greek Latin. Yeah, he like he comes in, he tries his language, it doesn't work. He then tr- fine, I'll try Latin and or I'll try Greek. He then speaks to that guy in Greek, and the translation comes that way. Yeah, and then. We know, oh, okay, this guy knows multiple languages. Yeah. So when he learns the Viking language, it's not like, well, where the fuck did he get that from? Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, this guy's adept at languages. Yeah. He knows basic, like, construction of sentences and shit. So then that eases that plot off. It removes Omar Sharif, which saves you budget. Um, you can put a bigger actor in one of the other roles if you really need the bigger name. Yeah. And let's be honest, there's plenty of fucking big name white actors you can pick from for the yeah. Northerners. I don't know why they were all smaller names. Um, you could have done all of that and then, yeah, that would have eased off the entire yeah. intro. So I would have had, do your slow-mo battle, but don't kill the leader yet. 
I would have Blue Bloodvine go out at this point, mm-hmm. still give him a heroic death, yeah, um, and have him have like a moment with Banderas where he's like, "You must save these people." Or, or he, like he does the writing, yeah, because that, that was the thing. Like he could do that whole bit where he says, "I would die with nothing," and then Banderas can be the one to say, "A man who has." Uh, who uh, has stories written of him would be considered very wealthy indeed. Yeah. You could have done that dialogue with just those two in that moment and it would have worked just as well, if not maybe a bit better. Yeah. Uh, and it would have been just as emotional. So yeah. I agree with you on that. That would have been a way to trim the ending. Have them go in. The battle now moves inside because we've already seen that they've been fortifying the building for a siege. So give us a fucking siege. Yep. They move inside, lock down the building. The enemies are outside trying to get in. Um, this is where you can then cut down into the basement and have the whole shit, we might actually have to kill these kids. Cut back up. Snarky Prince betrays everyone. Yep. Tries to, like, take control of the situation or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Or he tries to kill the kids. Yeah. And the women are like, no, actually, we've not lost yet. No, no, we better make sure it's all done or whatever. Yeah. And then the women have to kill... And then the women have to kill him to stop him from murdering the kids. Or or maybe he uses this as a sneaky opportunity to kill his own dad so that he's the king. Yeah. Oh, no, my dad died in the battle or something. Anyway, enemies all get in. Uh depending on whether you want Banderas to kill humans or not, either he kills the the snarky prince or the monsters get the snarky prince. Kind of in my head, like that bit in Shaun of the Dead yeah, when, when Dylan Moran's like, the and they tear him to pieces. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, have Banderas, and have Banderas defeat the leader in, in this siege, which would be, I guess, very Army of Darkness, to be fair. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, still have him write all these lovely stories about Bloodvine. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. For me, that's just a better ending. But... I agree with you. I actually agree with you. That is a better ending because you're right. There are certain things that are set up. I still, I still personally really like this film. Mm. I like the journey of it. I like because I have Viking ancestry. It does kind of speak to me on that level. Um, I love, and as I say, I love the interplay between that and the Muslim culture, which I just wish there was a bit more of, and that it was a bit more accurate. Um, yeah. But the yeah, there is room for improvement in this film. When it got after they've it, it all felt kind of okay to me until after they'd invaded the cave, and then when it got to them, and they're like, "Oh, they're going to come in the rain and attack during the day," and then it was just a slow mo battle and then gone. It was yeah. really anticlimactic. Yeah, and then the ending feels rushed as well. Like the ending, yeah. literally, the the battle finishes, uh, Bloodvine dies, etc., etc., and then all of a sudden. Banderas is on a boat waving goodbye to his friend. I'm like, you're not going to say goodbye to the girl you fucked. You're no. not going to. You're not going to say a more emotional because that's one of the strong points of the film. Is it also doesn't help that the last words that the Viking guy says to him is like, "By Arab. Arab." I know. You're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> weird. <laughs> but one of the strong points of the film, and unfortunately, I'm terribly sorry, but I don't know that character's name or that actor's name. But that blonde Viking with yeah. the beard, the one who does the fight against the snarky prince's friend, yeah. one of the strong points of the film is his relationship yeah. with Banderas. Yeah, he's one of the best characters in it, and mm. his relationship with Banderas is fantastic. Yeah. But it, then the end, it just kind of mugs it off. And the fact that he says by Arab, it could have at least said by Ahmed. So it's like, because yeah. the whole rest of the film, he's called him little brother and things like that. Yeah. That the fact that he's Ahmed says in his um, final dialogue, you know, uh, the Vikings who helped me go from, you know, become a man, while I, you know, fight the battle and become a man. Mm. 
and then that final honor is not just see Arab. It's it's by Ahmed. I you know I recognize you by your first name instead As a of person. Yeah, because he's also the one who calls him Eben and basically tells everyone his name is Eben because he says yeah. he's a, a, a uh, Ahmed Eben something Eben. Yeah, and because he's got Eben, which he means son of, he because it's repeated so much, he just goes, yeah, his name's Eben, yeah. which is a very Viking thing to do. <laughs> so but, he's a son of, <laughs> yeah, son of a, uh, but. Like how, again, that that's a nice progression on their friendship. It's just like, oh, that guy's called Abe and whatever. And then, oh, okay, well now we're in the fight together. You're my little brother. And then at the end, once he's won the fight with him, he's now not just little brother. He's not Eben. Yeah. He's not Arab. He is Ahmed. He is the guy who has won his respect and become, oh. you know, a warrior, a real man in this in this fight. I think the choice of the word Arab in this point at the beginning would have made sense. But at the ending, it's weird, isn't it? It's it it really like even within the context of the film, it's out of place. Um, it feels like Michael Crichton going, "Just remember, kids, I'm a racist. <laughs> Don't forget racism." <laughs> so let's talk music. You were a big fan of the soundtrack. Oh of this film? yes, Jerry Goldsmith bringing it home. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith almost never disappoints. Um, what are some of his other films? Jerry Goldsmith. I'm asking you to tell the audience what some of his other films Jerry are. Jerry Goldsmith. So he did... Don't say that like he's Hans Zimmer. Or uh, he's fucking... bigger than Hans Zimmer. He's no the one's origi- bigger than Hans Zimmer. He's, he's the, the biggest... original Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer's the biggest composer. In the... Not Hans Zimmer. What's his name? John... John Zimmer. No. John... If you put him in context, does he become a Zimmer frame? Oh, God. Why can't I think of his name? John something. The guy who made the Star Wars theme. Oh, John Goldsmith. No. So I'm going to pull up a, a, a... I'm sorry, but there's just no way Jerry Godsmith is not getting... What's his, his face as channel. well? Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman is not bigger than... No. Fuck off. Danny Elfman no, 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 definitely no, no, no. is. No, honestly, honestly, you are wrong. I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being a dick. I'm really not being a dick. Danny Elfman's one of the most recognisable yes, composers he is. of yes, the Yes, he is. World. I'm not taking away from Danny Elfman, but he is not. He is not Jerry Goldsmith. All right. You name me some of Jerry Goldsmith's films, and I'll tell you if any of them have music that is better than, say, the Batman theme that uh, Danny Elfman better, made. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Better is a, t- a, a question of taste. Doesn't We're matter. talking about a bigger name, okay? Right. So let's let's be absolutely 100% So how would you measure that? that? Well, I'd argue it based on the, like the, the, lev- like the big famous films he's done. He did Planet of the Apes, Logan's Run. He did The Omen, uh, Capricorn 1. He did Police Story. <laughs> he did Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, he did Outland, which is a great film. Uh, he did the theme tune and everything for the Waltons. Um, Poltergeist, did the film Poltergeist. Right. He did Rambo First Blood. Uh, he did the uh, theme music for the Return of the Man from Uncle. He did Psycho 2 soundtrack. He did Twilight Zone the movie. He did Gremlins. He did Supergirl. He did Rambo 2. Uh, he did The Burbs with um, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Susan Sarandon, I think. Yep. He did Star Trek V The Final Frontier. He did the original Total Recall, uh, Gremlins 2. He did Omen 4. Or no, yeah, only four. He did Wayne's World, but that's just the Paramount theme. So he did the theme to the Paramount logo for fuck's sake. Basic Instinct, Dennis the Menace. <laughs> Maybe not that one. 
Star Trek Next Generation, he did the theme tune. He did Star Trek First Contact, he did Shiloh, which was a big name at the time, though it's not really a remembered film. LA Confidential. He did Hercules, Disney's Hercules. Yeah. He did Air Force One with Harrison Ford. Uh, he did Small Soldiers. Right. Star Trek Insurrection. He did The Mummy, 13th Warrior. He did Hollow Man. Uh, he did Star Trek Voyager's theme tune. He also did Deep Space Nine's theme tune, I believe, as well. Um, Some of All Fears, Star Trek Nemesis. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not denying he's big, but I think Elfman's bigger. Go on then, show me some of Elfman's. Because right. if we're right, talking in terms of... I've never heard anyone talk of... El- like, I've heard a lot of people talk about Elfman in real reverence. Mm. So I'm not saying he's not mentioned reverently, but... To the level of Jerry Goldsmith is not what I've heard. So, in, uh, to be fair, I don't know if he is or isn't in technical skill. But in terms of, I'm talking now in how recognisable these films. Oh, that's are. what I'm talking about as well. I'm not so, so his first few, I'll give you his first few. That's are, the same yeah. with any composer, I'm sure. It's mostly so small his first stuff, big yeah. one, I would argue, is in 1988, which is Beetlejuice. Right. right. So that's already after Jerry Goldsmith has started yeah. making him. So Beetlejuice, Midnight Run, Scrooged, Batman. Um, which obviously that became yeah, yeah. such yeah, an yeah, iconic yeah. theme. That's an iconic Nightbreed, theme. Dick Tracy, Darkman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, The Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, that doesn't... Because it's a shit film. Nightmare Before Christmas ain't shit. It's a shit film. No, it's not. I hate that film. Do you? Yeah. It's good. <laughs> to be fair, I'm not huge on the film itself. I like the music, though. Yeah, I really I like the music. The music uh, Black Beauty, Dolores Claiborne, Dead Presidents, Mission Impossible. I didn't realise he did that. Oh, wow, that. that's good. The Frighteners, Freeway, Extreme Measures, Mars Attacks, Men in Black, Flubber, Goodwill Hunting, A Simple Plan, uh, A Civil Action, Instinct, Anywhere But Here, Sleepy Hollow. It does seem like he is Tim Burton's go-to guy. He is definitely <laughs> Tim Burton's go-to guy. Uh, Proof of Life, Planet of the Apes, Spy Kids, previous episodes. Interesting he did Planet of the Apes when the original was by Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, and he did the Tim Burton yeah, Planet yeah. of the Apes. Uh, <laughs> Spy Kids, previous episode. Ugh. Spider-Man, previous episode. Men in Black 2, Red Dragon, Chicago, Hulk, uh, Big Fish, Spider-Man 2, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The Charlie and the Chocolate Johnny Factory is Depp no, one. no. Sorry, Danny. Uh, you, you Corpse Bride. Me. Corpse Bride's a good film. It's alright. Uh, Deep Sea 3D. Nacho Libre. Uh, Charlotte's Web. Meet the Robinsons. See, uh, here's the thing. I am skipping some of some yeah, of them yeah, yeah. just because I what will I be will here forever. Say, what I will say about this comparison, maybe what it is is to do with certain ages, mm. because Danny Elfman basically didn't make much of an impression before sort of the late 88, 80s. Yeah. Whereas. Jerry Goldsmith has been making impressions in major films since the late 60s. Mm. So it could be to do with that. Like, obviously, there's a tale off in Jerry Goldsmith when he died yeah. um, where Danny Elfman is still alive and still going. Yeah. So, it, and obviously, a lot of the stuff that you and I have seen is a lot more recent. Mm. So we will have seen a lot more of Danny Elfman's films than we would have Jerry yeah. Goldsmith. And to be fair, pop culture, I feel like pop culture didn't really become a proper thing till the 80s. There was obviously pop culture before that, mm. but pop culture as it exists today, where oh, it's see. all recognizable. Yeah, that's why it became a nostalgia thing, where there wasn't, there was I, nostalgia for the 60s, but there wasn't really a nostalgia yeah. for 60s movies. Because I'm not going to bother yeah. reading anymore, but basically it goes on to be every Tim Burton film, um, all the Men in Blacks, Silver Linings Playbook. Um, I don't know what that is. Ba- it seems uh, that's the film that, like, other than 
Hunger Games. Uh, that's the film that made everyone take Jennifer Lawrence seriously as an actress. Oh, uh, I believe she won the Oscar for it, and okay. I think Robert De Niro may have won an Oscar for oh, it as well. Robbie. Um, it looks like he's Sam Raimi's go-to composer as well, because it looks like he's done every Raimi film since the first Spider-Man. Wow. Up to and including Doctor <laughs> Oh, yeah, he takes a loss for this one. He did the music for the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. I mean, I don't know one. if the soundtrack is bad on that. So <laughs> I'm sure it probably I'm, isn't. The, I'm but... sure, obviously, the films are terrible. But... Um, but he basically, and obviously, like I said, it's not a fair comparison because Jerry Goldsmith's dead now. But it looks like, because it splits these into decades. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like Elfman's just getting more and more popular. Yeah. He's done more films each decade since he started. Right, oh, that's um, cool. Which is good. He doesn't seem to have hit a tail off. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's bugging me that I can't remember who that John is, though, who did the Star Wars theme, though. So I'm John just... Williams. John Williams, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to say John Waters, but I knew it weren't John <laughs> Waters because he's a kooky director. Um, but yeah, no. But I... Yeah, I liked the music in this. I, uh, like the, I like the main theme with the horn. Well, I liked the... Um, the main theme was fine. I didn't hate it. It felt very standard fantasy historical adventure to me. I liked the use, just it reminded me of the X-Files. Uh, there's a weird use. Anytime something that may or may not be creepy is happening, which is another reason it's disappointing that it's not something supernatural because the soundtrack leads you to believe it is. There's a little, I don't know what instrument it is, but it's a high-pitched thing, and it's a very simple melody. It just goes like a... Like that. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Like um, a theremin. It, yeah, but it's not a it's theremin. Not a theremin. I feel like it might be some sort of flute. Okay. Um, and that's something X Files did a lot in its early seasons, right. where like when something spooky was going on, you'd get almost like a windpipe type noise. Right. Um, Interesting. But yeah, no, I liked that. I liked the use of that. Cool. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I. I mean, I think the soundtrack is pretty good for this. Um. There's a couple of points where it has to cut itself quite seriously because I think. The editing can sometimes be a little bit jumpy. There's a couple of shots where it sort of jumps from one scene yeah. to the next without a real progression, and it feels like the soundtrack has to kind of jump to match it. Um, that's not really the fault of the musician. That's the fault of the editing. And the fact it's been cut to ribbons. Yeah, it seemed to be a, a factor with John McTiernan, because when I did my review on my Cyberpunk Studios YouTube channel for Rollerball, I compared it with the original... Um, most of my favourite parts of that, though, are me ribbing on the new Rollerball 20, 2002. Yeah. Um, but when I looked into that film, there was an awful lot where it seemed to be he'd made a cut, it wasn't good enough, it got cut again, and then it got cut again, and then it got cut again. It seemed to be whatever John McTinnan touched from like at least the mid-90s onwards, um, it needed to be cut to absolutely cut to pieces in order to make anything resembling a coherent film. It makes you wonder, doesn't it, if he just got lucky on Die Hard and Predator? See, I'm not sure he did because there's so, so much cohesion in those films. I wonder if he lost it. for. I mean, he obviously lost it mentally to the fact that he got to the point where he wiretapped his producer. Yeah. So, so obviously something happened where he shifted... Now, often in this case, and I'm not saying it is in this case, but often cocaine is the answer <laughs> for most of this shit when it happens in the film industry. I don't know that as the fact in John McTiernan's case. It may have nothing to do with uh, you know, narcotics and stuff. But usually I find when people go off the rails, they then come back and go, yeah, I was on cocaine. Okay, so overall, uh, so this film seems to be a film where it's kind of... 
almost Marmite. It's not so bad that people despise it. Mm. It's generally not so good that it's like a 10 out of 10 sort yeah. of film. Which is weird, because for me, for me, it's just there. Which yeah, is yeah. the opposite of Marmite, isn't it? Yeah, So, but it, it seemed to be like, even from the professional reviews, that you know, like Ebert was kind of on the negative side of Marmite. And it was three and out of four. Yeah, it's like, so it, but again, it never hits four out of four or one out of four. It's always somewhere, like, it's not quite neutral, but it's not quite off it far enough yeah. either. So, for me, this is closer to a four out of four, then it would be a, you know, a zero out of four. But it, it is not a perfect film. There is, as we've discussed, there are plenty of things that would have improved it in terms of its pacing, in terms of learning more about the characters. Yeah. Uh, and giving a bit, you know, not, and improving the ending, certainly. Um, giving a bit more time so that the ending could be a little bit better played out. Um, but yeah, as for yourself, where, where would you stick this film? Would you recommend uh, this, this it? Is, would you? Um, I, this for me is exactly uh, a middle of the road film. It exists <laughs> and it's a film. Uh, and I don't hate that I've seen it. I also will never watch it again. Okay. Uh, then again, I say I'll never watch it again. This definitely feels like one of those films that 10 years from now I will forget that I've seen it. Right. And if it'll be like on TV, I might sit and watch it and then halfway through go, hang on a minute. I know what I've seen this before. But do you think you would enjoy it? Um, I don't think I'd enjoy it a second time. No? No. Um, it, I wasn't g- gripped by it, but I wasn't bored by it either. Um, and I, I think, to be honest, I can't imagine anywhere would play this in the future given the racial issue. Um I, like you said, we're going to turn up on TV, I don't think. Right, but to be so. fair, we're kind of reaching the end of films turning up on TV now yeah, anyway. It's all going on Netflix. Um, okay, but so... yeah, it's not terrible. Yeah. It's there. For me, I would watch it again. I mean, this is... Oh, I can't man- I ma- remember how many times I've seen this film. This must be at least my seventh watch through of this film. Yeah. Probably more. Um, and I enjoy it every time. It is a very enjoyable film, at least in my opinion. It's not going to blow your socks off it's not going to change your mind on anything and it because it's not deep enough um i mean we j- the only is we just came off of watching once were warriors mm. and then we watched 13th warrior that was just pure coincidence that we did two films back with to back warrior with warrior in the, in the title but they're both very different films oh incredibly know. different couldn't, once were warriors is be a, more different yeah once were warriors is a recommendable dark drama about a subject Whereas this is an easy-to-watch action movie without any real depth to it. So this is a much more, I'd say, entertaining film. Yes. Because that's the word you can use for this, and not really for <laughs> Once We're Warriors. But it is not a better film. Uh, actually, far from it. it. It needed a bit more time in the oven, and a little bit more consideration of script, and pace, and character. Um feels to me maybe they tried too much to follow the book. Bear in mind the book was written in the 70s. Could be. Could be. Um, because the characters probably were blander in the 70s and no one cared. Probably. Because generally 70, in the 70s, most film characters were quite bland as well anyway. Yeah. Whereas by the 90s, people wanted at least a bit more depth from their characters. And certainly nowadays, we kind of... A lot of our films are more vignettes about identities and people and history and whatever they really went crazy for doing Crichton uh, adaptations in the 90s didn't they i mean he's done a lot of park yeah he's i mean he's done a lot of great work and 
quite a lot of not so great work. Um, Disclosure. Uh, but yeah, things like Jurassic Park obviously became massive box office booms. Mm. This and then, did not. Do, do you know the story about the sequel to Jurassic Park? What set Jurassic Park two? Yeah, Lost World. Depends what story. So, I've seen the film. So you know about the book, the book sequel. Oh, no, no, I don't. So there was no book sequel, and Spielberg forced Crichton to write one. Because for some reason, for some weird reason, I know, for some weird reason, Spielberg wasn't just like, well, I can just make a sequel anyway. He was like, no, I'm going to make a sequel, and I'm going to tell you what the plot is, and you write it. So weird. Yeah, it's such a weird way to do it. And apparently the book's garbage because Crichton didn't want to write it. So it's just like he just half-arsed it. I mean, mean, let's be honest, the movie's not good either. I mean, Lost World Jurassic Park is one of the worst films in Spielberg's entire filmography. I mean, it probably says a lot as to why Spielberg is not a writer. And he doesn't do sequels. Yep. Spielberg very famously doesn't do sequels. I think I think I read once he has only ever done sequels twice in his whole career, and both times they've been, like, terribly Jurassic received. Park 2, what was the other one? Did he direct Indiana Jones, or is he just the producer on it? Oh, I'd have to look that up. I feel like he directed the second Indiana Jones, which most people agree is not good. So Spielberg did uh, Last Crusade. Temple of Doom was directed by Spielberg. So let's, who did Dial of Destiny? I doubt that was Spielberg. It's definitely not Spielberg. I'm sure James Spielberg. Mangold. I'm so, sure Spielberg didn't direct Crystal Skull, though. I'm sure he didn't. His name is on there as the he director. Produ- I'm, oh, because he's... I've read an interview with him before where he literally he just threw Lucas under the bus and was like, yeah, I didn't want to do the aliens. That was George. And well, I said, George, George I, th- I said, George, George this is a bad idea. Maybe. maybe. He was like, George, this is a bad idea. But George just went, no, people love aliens. Trust me, I'm Star Wars. Yeah, George Lucas did story. Story slash characters. So it looks like George did the story for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But yes, uh, notoriously doesn't like doing sequels. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's basically it. Now. I don't think I have anything else to say about this movie. Much I mean, we've we've talked about. I'm just trying to think. We've talked about the music. We've talked about the visuals. We've talked about characters. We've talked yeah, about the, the story. We've talked about How what we, we would do, do differently. To, differently. We've talked about casting. Um. I mean, we're on an hour and five minutes. Oh, it's fine. Then we can wrap it up. Yeah, because you want these to be roughly an hour anyway, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, so that's probably good enough. Right, let's just do a finale then. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was our revisit of The 13th Warrior. Woo! Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Have you seen the film? If so, feel free to write to us or comment and let us know what you thought. And if you haven't seen it, go check it out, I guess. Yay, Um, do it. It's the best. In the meantime, we will see you next time when we give another film a second take.